Hi, welcome to It Doesn't Have to Be Terrible with me, Caroline Snyder, a podcast where we explore the stories, topics, and questions that help us as individuals better understand how we impact and are impacted by the financial world around us. Special guest star Tallulah, hello, who is trying to um, get in my good graces because last night she decided to pee on Ben <laughs> while we were asleep. It was really awful, actually, um, but I think she feels bad. We'll see. She didn't pee on me because she loves me more. So she may or may not be here the whole time. That's not what we're talking about today, though. We are not talking about peeing cats. We are not talking about wetting the bed with your stinky pee. What we are talking about is something even yuckier. Credit scores. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, wait, it was supposed to be dun, dun, dun. Credit scores. Yes. Okay, so we are going to talk about credit scores in a couple different ways. And this is something that I talk about a ton with clients. I would say something about credit scores is probably my most frequently asked kind of like question topic bucket from folks on Instagram or um, folks who I meet like at the grocery aisle, whatever. People ask me about credit scores all the time. And I think that makes sense. People are asking because they're really confusing. It's not transparent. It has gotten a lot more transparent, but it still is complex. Um, People often find that they either don't know their credit score or if they do know their credit score, they don't know what it actually means. So today I want to talk about both some of the basics of what the heck a credit score is But mostly I want to talk about why they make me so mad. (laughs) That's what we're going to focus in on. Making me mad Um, and being covered in cat and cat hair. I don't know if the camera can pick this up, but there is legit cloud. That is disgusting. Cats are disgusting. The credit score system was developed or began to be developed in the 1950s. So in the grand scheme of things, not that long ago, right? We're talking about 75 years ago was when it started to get developed. And the system that was used today was not fully developed until 1989. That is really not that long ago. So between the 50s and 1989, There were improvements, changes, probably some waiting on somebody to respond to a a letter in the mail, not even an email. Um, And that period of time was not standardized. 
and before the 1950s, it wasn't standardized. So, not surprising, there was a ton of discrimination when it came to loans and it came to lending. So, at its most basic level, the credit score system is a way of telling potential lenders who is going to be good to lend to, right? Who is a reliable potential person or organization to lend money to? Who you think is actually going to pay you back? That's the point of a credit score. So if I show a potential lender, if I show a financial institution or a bank a score of 800, they're going to immediately be like, probably going to pay us back. She's not a big risk. Versus a score of 350 is going to say like, ooh, that person is risky or that organization is risky and we might need to do more due diligence or charge more in order to do this loan. That's what it's supposed to do, okay? And before the 1950s and really before 1989, there wasn't a system where that was standard. So as you can imagine, someone who is going to the bank who happens to be, you know, buddies with the banker, maybe went to school with their brother, maybe, you know, lives down the street, maybe just looks like them, is going to be more likely to get a loan approved than someone who doesn't have any connections with the bank or with the individual bankers, someone who is, you know, think about it, not that hard to think through. Anyone who's a person of color any woman, anyone who doesn't fit the general mold, pre the 1970s, if you were a woman, you were almost impossible to get a loan on your own. And if you were single, so your marital status was not married, it was much harder to get a loan. So there was actually an act in 74, I think it was called like the Equal Credit Opportunity Act that was passed that made it illegal to deny credit based on gender or marital status. And then a couple years later, they added, um, they added to the act and made it illegal to deny credit based on nationality and race, receipt of public assistance, ethnicity, age, I think was the other one. Um, nothing about sexual orientation. Yeah, so slowly over time, we get this more and more standardized system that makes it harder and harder to discriminate, but there was a ton of discrimination that went on, and there is still a ton of discrimination that goes on. It's just done in a less clear way, right? It's not so cut and dry being like, well, I'm black, and so therefore I didn't get this loan. Whereas in 1949, for sure, it would have been very clear that that was the reason why you were not getting a loan. Um, In 1999, less clear if that was the reason why you were getting denied for not getting a loan. Okay, so it is better. Like, it really is. The history is not great, but it is better. That being said, there are a ton of flaws, and I think of the flaws in sort of like two buckets. One is the credit reporting companies bucket, so the companies themselves that are doing this work, 
and two is the system itself bucket. So we're thinking about an umbrella of problems and on one side, a bunch of holes, rain coming through is the companies and the other side, maybe even more holes and rain coming through is the actual system. The companies themselves, themselves have, uh, let's say gotten in trouble for a few things, rightly so. So this has happened a couple times. People were labeled as terrorists or drug traffickers by credit reporting companies. And then obviously the fallout of that is one, you're not being able to get a loan, but also, I don't know, like the FBI might be following you. You might have some police issues, all sorts of problems start happening in your life. So they've been sued multiple times for that. The like fact that this happens is just wild to me. Um, and the reason why they're getting, or the reason why people had been labeled as terrorists or as drug traffickers was because their name was the same as somebody who had been maybe convicted, maybe rightly or wrongly, of being a terrorist or a drug trafficker. So if your name is Joe Smith and there's a, a trafficker, a drug trafficker, who is also named Joe Smith, then you're in trouble. That's the thing that happens, like, just like administratively, maybe more regular than we realize, but there's a really easy way of making sure that doesn't happen, that the credit reporting agencies have easy access to, which is using your social security number instead of just your name. There are other Caroline Snyders out there, but there are not other Caroline Snyders with my social security number. And the credit reporting agencies have access to social security numbers. So that was just like not doing due diligence, right? That's one, one of those holes with the rain coming through. Another one is that they have been caught providing different scores to consumers, like the you's and me's of the world, than to the financial institutions who are judging the you's and me's to decide whether or not you're going to get a loan. So for example, a credit reporting company might have told me that my score was a 740, which is a good score and is one that you would be very likely to get an offer of a loan with a pretty low interest rate, right? The kind of best kind of loan that you could get. And that same credit reporting company was giving the bank who was asking for my information to decide whether or not they were going to give me said loan, were telling them that my score was a 680. Way less likely to give me the loan at all and way less likely to give me the loan at a rate that would be com competitive. So again, just like not doing their job, like your job <laughs> is to gather the data and report these scores and you're reporting them differently. So they've been, gotten in trouble for that. Very fair. They've also gotten in trouble, this is another administrative thing, for charging fees to consumers who are on free trials. That's not like so shocking in some ways. Like I think that that probably happens with companies 
on a semi-regular basis, but that is not okay. And it was a big pain for folks to get fixed, which is even more not okay. And the final hole in this umbrella, some of you might remember this, um, there was a massive data breach. Equifax in 2017 had a data breach that impacted, I think it, I'm going to actually double check my notes on this because it's a, a number I want to have, right? Yeah. 147 million people. So in 2017, 147 million people had their credit reporting data hacked and available for the powers that be to find and use. That was almost half of the population of the United States at the time. It was 45% of the population of the U.S. That is a huge data breach. And some of you might remember at this point, credit, reported, credit reporting agencies started offering opportunities to freeze your credit report so that if not to fix the breach, not to say like we won't let this happen again, but if it were to happen again, no one else can make changes to things that would impact your credit without you unfreezing your credit report. So like you couldn't open a new credit card, you couldn't get a new loan without unfreezing, which I mean, like that's good, right? Like it's a protective measure to say that if your credit data gets stolen and someone's trying to open up a credit card in your name illegally, then that way that won't happen. That's good. That is good. But it doesn't stop the breach from the beginning, right? Like they lost 147 million people's trust in the system. And I remember when this happened um, and I did freeze my credit. And over time, I've ended up unfreezing it because it has been a pain in the butt to have frozen and then unfreeze and then have to freeze again. Um, and I don't know, I don't think it's a bad thing to have it frozen. I just don't think it really fixes the problem necessarily. So that's one side of this umbrella, right? The companies not doing the jobs that they are responsible for doing in an ethical and appropriate manner. And then the other side of that umbrella is the system itself. And I think this is what really confuses people. And this is what makes clients and folks that I meet, um, I'm quite frankly, angry and frustrated and overwhelmed. Um, I often find that people feel really like, I was gonna say the word despair. I think that might be slightly stronger than I mean, but people feel really disheartened by the system because it doesn't feel empowering and it doesn't feel um, like something that they have control over. Yet, it drastically controls their lives, right? Your credit score might mean that you get denied to rent an apartment. Your credit score might make it impossible for you to buy a home. Your credit score might make it really expensive to buy a car. Your credit score impacts your day-to-day -day life and to not have a full understanding of how 
to manage that credit score because it is something that needs to be managed. Um, means that people are missing out on opportunities and are often getting taken advantage of in some way, shape, or form. So the second half of the umbrella with all the holes, maybe even full-on rips, is about the system, right? This very confusing, seemingly complex system. And I want to talk about a couple basics, and then we're going to get into what makes up a score and where the flaws are in that system. The first real just this is what credit scores are, is that it is a number from 300 to 850. And the lower the number, the quote unquote, like worse your credit score is, and therefore, the less what they call credit worthy you are to potential lenders. So always, if we're talking about credit scores, we're talking about a number between 300 and 850. And the higher you are, the higher the number is, the better you seem to potential lenders. There are a few breaking points um, through the system that kind of move you into a different tier of credit worthiness. And by the way, I'm going to use the terms that they use. Creditworthiness is a industry term. I'm going to use that term whether or not I think it is actually an accurate term to be used because I think it is helpful to use the terminology in um, the context we're talking about because otherwise you'll see things written later and be like, I have no idea what they're talking about when I could just explain it now. This cat is going to get all, can you come sit? Okay, so there's a few breaking points, right, that kind of like move you up or down in the tiers. And they're approximate because different systems use different breaking points. But I think of the two that are most impactful for most folks are 670. If you scoot up over 670, things get a lot better. And then 740. So if you scoot up over 740, things get even better. There are even more opportunities. Um, and those are approximate, right? So like, it might not be literally you hit 671 and all of a sudden you have a million more opportunities, but it's pretty close to those breaking points. Okay, Tallulah. And there are six factors that make up your credit score. So six um, areas that go into making up this score between 300 and 850. So there are total accounts, hard inquiries, credit age, credit usage, payment history, and derogatory marks are the six. And I think some of those six make perfectly good sense for lenders to know and institutions to know to take into account whether or not they want to lend you money. Like having a derogatory mark, so this might be something like a lien or bankruptcy, is probably valid information for a bank to see to make a decision whether or not that they are comfortable lending money to you. Now we could get into like the individual circumstances of why there was a lien on your house, which is when you're not paying 
your mortgage regularly, the bank can put up what's called a lien, L-I-E-N, on your home, and they basically are saying they own that property until that lien is paid off. I think we can get into individual circumstances that should be taken into account when a financial institution is deciding whether or not to loan money to an organization or an individual. Like, I wish those individual circumstances were part of it, but I don't think it is fair to say, like, bank, you should never know that I have a history of not being able to pay loans back. Um, I also think payment history makes sense, right? Like, are you good at paying loans on time? The payment history factor is not talking at all about the amount that you paid, but it's saying, did you pay at least the minimum and did you pay it on time? That seems like fine for a credit agency to know and to take into account. There are other ones that I think make basically no sense or like the way you have to deal with them makes no sense. So credit age, I like get it on some level, right? If you have only had a credit card for a year, there's not as much data as for someone who's had a credit card for 50 years to be able to say like that person's always really great at paying their credit card bill on time. But what this ends up meaning is that it discriminates against people who are younger or people who have not had a credit history for as long of a time. So let's take my lovely husband, for example. Prior to, well, certainly us getting married, but even several years into our marriage, right? He didn't have a credit history because he didn't want to owe anybody anything. He didn't want to be in debt. So he didn't have any credit cards and he just used cash or debit. I don't think that that should be punished. In fact, it means like it means that he never paid for something or he never was living outside his means, right? He was always able to pay for things in cash. That, if anything, seems like a good thing. But his credit age is much younger than what it would have been if he had gotten a, uh, gotten a credit card in college or gotten a credit card in his early 20s or when he was 18. Um, and there's also ways to kind of mess with this. So we can get credit cards in our kids' names and give them a longer credit age history. We can add... Um, kids to be authorized users to credit cards and that gives them a longer credit age history. So there's ways to mess with the system. Knowing how to mess with the system is beneficial because then you're able to open as many opportunities as you can for you and your loved ones. But the fact that people who have the funds and probably the time and energy and the credit score to be able to open these additional accounts. Um, it's just benefiting those people, right? Like we're continuously creating this larger gap between the haves and the haves nots 
because I guarantee that people who are in the highest um, socioeconomic classes and tax brackets in our country are having financial advisors and CPAs recommend doing these things or maybe even helping them do it on their behalf so that it's done and so that your kids are in this good position, right? And someone who is using TurboTax to file their taxes or doing it themselves is not getting that extra support, is not getting that expert advice. So credit age really bothers me a lot. Um, Total accounts, I think, is the one that drives me truly up a wall. So total accounts benefits people with a lot of credit lines. So the more credit cards you have, the better your total accounts score looks, and therefore the better your credit score looks as a whole. It also takes into account diversity of types of credit. So it looks better to have a mortgage and a student loan and a car loan and credit cards and a personal loan. Like having all of those different types of loans looks better than just having a mortgage, let's say. Even though having only one type, in my mind, doesn't mean that you're less likely to pay it back. It means that you've only gotten loans for the things that you really need loans for. Not to say that someone with those five types of loans didn't need all of them, but I don't think that by having more, you are somehow better at dealing with loans. In fact, from my experience, the more you have, the more likely it is that something is going to fall through the cracks and that you're not going to pay on time. Ah, that one really, really bothers me. Actually, the personal story with that that bothers me the most. We bought a house in 2016 and we sold it in 2020. I'm looking at you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was in the pandemic. We sold it in 2020. My credit score when we bought the house was not 800, but it was close. After we had bought the house, it went up over 800. Excuse me. And then um, I can like see cat hair stuck on me. We're going to have to vacuum in here. Maybe a vacuum you. Um, went up over 800 after we bought the house and then stayed over 800, I think, consistently. And then when we sold the house, my credit score dropped by over 50 points. It was wild. And it was because all of a sudden, two things happened. One, the total accounts number went down and the diversity number went down. So that factor in the credit score was impacted. And the other thing that happened was that my credit usage changed. So your credit usage, if you're thinking about the math, is all of the credit that you have available to you. So all of your credit limits combined. So if it's 10,000 plus 5,000 plus 2,000 plus 25,000 plus 100,000, whatever, all of those combined. And then as the denominator, and then as the numerator, it's how much credit you're using. So how much of outstanding balances that you have, right? So the lower 
the number of outstanding balances compared to the amount of credit available that you have to you, the better off your credit score looks because your credit usage is lower. Hot tip, it is very beneficial to get below 30% of credit usage, both from an overall number standpoint and from each individual credit line. So each credit card being under 30% of usage, that makes a huge difference with your credit score. But so by selling the house, my credit usage number changed and the total accounts number changed and my credit score plummeted and it took months for it to recover, which just like, I mean, it just pissed me off. I didn't do anything wrong. In fact, I had one last bill that I needed to pay every month for a house that we weren't living in that was going to be better off with somebody else, right? Like I didn't become less likely to be able to pay back loans. In fact, I became more likely to be able to pay back loans because I no longer had that mortgage that I needed to pay every month. But that's not what my credit score said. My credit score said that I was less worthy. So the system has flaws, major flaws. I would love for the system to get a massive overhaul. That is quite frankly going to take an act of Congress. And I don't know about you, but I've been noticing that Congress is having a very hard time doing anything at all and has been having a very hard time with that for quite a while and only gets worse at it. So I don't think that it is likely to come up on the docket and get passed anytime soon. It is also not a hot button issue that people in Congress or in state legislatures are like feeling exciting about feeling excited about changing. I don't think there's a lot of momentum behind it in part because the organizations and the companies that would need to make changes in order to make the system be more fair and more representative of what it um, claims to really do are credit reporting companies and financial institutions. And not only do they have a like personal vested interest on not rocking the boat because they've already got their systems and they don't want to invest money in making changes. Um, But they also have huge lobbying budgets available to work to make sure that the systems don't change, right? So there's a lot working against us on the systematic change at this point. And while I could say like, Let's start a movement to bring this down. I'm not, I I just like don't have that in me. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that it's like the thing that's gonna, we should be spending all of our effort on at this moment. Um, I would argue that it makes more sense to as individuals really try to spread the information so that people know what is going on with their scores, understand what they can do to impact their scores, understand how they can 
I mean, for kind of lack of a better term, like game the system or use the system in their advantage so that they're not screwed, right? Like you need to be able to learn how to protect yourself. And it sucks that the system is such that it is on the consumer and the individual to be in a position where they have to protect themselves. It should be the system is doing its job correctly so that we don't have to think about it. But that's not the case, and that's not going to be the case for the foreseeable future. So my belief and where I'm coming from and my job is to help people figure out what's going to work for them. I talked about the tip about the 30% usage rate. That's huge. Another tip is putting minimum payments for all of your credit cards or for any loan that you have on auto pay so that you never accidentally miss a payment because payment history is hugely, hugely, hugely important for your credit score. And if you miss even one payment, it can really, really hurt your score and it stays on your score for seven years. So having that on auto pay so that at the minimum, you hit the minimum payment, that just means that you're protecting yourself from really, really damaging your score on accident. I usually don't recommend doing auto pay for a full statement balance or for a full balance just because those can fluctuate really widely and having that come out as a surprise can really mess somebody up. So what I do personally and what I recommend most clients do is have your minimum payments set on auto And then you also have calendar reminders set so that you go in and go ahead and pay the statement balances off as well. Um, But that way you just like cover your butt, right? CYA. It's all about CYA, unfortunately. And if at this point you're like, I need more help, I want more help, I have two potential offerings for you. One, I have a wonderful learn at your own pace course that I collaborated with Puno of I Love Creatives with. It's called Finance Friends Forever. It is excellent. We worked our butts on it. Um, Works our butts on it. We worked our butts off on it. And um, we have a whole section on debt and we have a whole section on credit scores. We get really deep into little individual things that you can do. So that I highly recommend. And also, if you're looking for something that's more individualized and more um, tailored for your individual experiences and your kind of unique situation and your unique personality, then please reach out to me to talk about financial coaching. Um, my financial coaching offerings are individually tailored to each client, so I create personalized curriculum for you and I act as your expert guide and therapist and accountability buddy um, and friend and we work through really challenging things and reach goals together in a way that um, feels good and feels not scary or overwhelming. Uh, So if you're interested, reach out to me. You can DM me, you can email me, whatever works for you, I will respond. And um, otherwise, you can just find us here next week. And uh, yeah.
yeah, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, please rate, please subscribe, please uh, like it, like the video. <laughs> this is not my forte yet. I'll get there, team. Um, I have loved diving into this topic. I hate this topic. I love talking about it with you. I would love to hear whatever questions you have, comments you have, concerns you have, a string of angry face emojis, whatever floats your boat. I'm here for it. Um, as always, I'm rooting for you. Have a lovely rest of your week. Bye.